At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans, and there are so many trouble spots in this market today, it's hard to even pick where to start. From Snap to Abercrombie to Best Buy's demand warning, the Nasdaq, like Scott just said, is bearing the brunt of the selling pressure, even though bond yields are also sinking. New home sales plunging last month. Are we headed for recession, or is this just a post-pandemic reset? We've got your playbook for what is working right now. Plus, a deeper dive on what's ailing the social media space. Snap's warning costing that stock 40% of its value today. If the internet advertising boom is over, what comes next? And the next set of earnings on tap. Toll Brothers, Dick's Sporting Goods, and Nordstrom all reporting. We'll preview them in earnings exchange. But let's begin with today's sell-off. Over to Bob Pisani for the very latest. Bob? Well, two steps forward, one step back. We can't seem to put together any kind of string of positive uh, days for the S&P 500. Just take a look. I want to point out for the S&P 500, 3,900, exactly where we are right now. That was the old uh, closing low. That was on Thursday. So we're sitting essentially at a, the closing low, the 52-week low that we saw uh, last week. In terms of what's moving today, I can't help but notice big cap tech stocks are weak here. We've got some new lows and some real mega cap names uh, for example, Meta and, uh, and Alphabet, both sitting 52-week lows. Meta, of course, uh, down somewhat in relation to the Snap news as well. But semiconductors have been weak also throughout the day, and NVIDIA and Micron uh, leading the way. More stable consumer staples. Uh, after a horrendous week uh, in the middle of last week, uh, they have been much more stable the last few days, but they're not enough to offset some of the big declines that we're seeing uh, in the more cyclical parts of the market. Social media, we talked all day about Snap, uh, major global macro deterioration essentially there. Costs are up. Looks like advertising is getting cut. That's affecting, of course, all the social media stocks that are out there. Finally, I just want to note these new home sales numbers. These were quite shocking uh, and a real wake-up call to the idea that something seems to be going on here if with the consumer or not. Uh, Toll Brothers is there. Uh, they're going to have earnings after the bell. Uh, they're one of the big luxury home builders that are out there. So we'll keep an eye on what they have to say. Their contract price is very, very high. Uh, so here you see the new home sales that surprised me. April 2012. This is the number. 591,000. We were expecting 750 right around there. That is an enormous miss. I want to point out January 2021 at 839. That was the pandemic high that we had for sales. And the pandemic low was April 2020, exactly two years ago, 582,000. So the important point here, guys, is that we are essentially back in new home sales right near the pandemic lows. So Toll Brothers is going to be after the close. And I want to reiterate, they are the big luxury builder. Their average home sale is close to a million dollars a year, way higher than most other home builders. So what I'm curious about is how much, to what extent, if any, there is a slowdown in the higher end market at all, uh, which would confirm what we saw in the April numbers. 
Guys, back to you. Yeah, we'll pick it up right there, Bob. Thank you very much. We did, in fact, get so much bad data this morning, and we really saw markets react, especially Treasury markets. So let's do an emergency edition of our data tracker here to run you through it. It really started this morning with the global PMIs, which came in a little soft everywhere, but especially in the U.K., where activity both services and manufacturing, their composite slipped six points to a level of around 51. That's just above the level of contraction, raising some recession concerns there. Then you go to the U.S. These are the flash ones. Remember, we get sort of the official ones in about a week or two, a uh, turn of June. The flash one, though, especially for U.S. services, showed, I really should put this just in the bad category, falling from a level of 56 to 53. It was worse than expected. Then we had the Richmond Fed, the regional manufacturing gauge, second biggest monthly drop ever. It went to negative nine. It was expected to be positive 10. You know, not a lot of comfort for the markets there. New home sales, like Bob mentioned, absolutely plunged. But we're not really seeing much slippage again in the average home price. So that one, a major disappointment for the market. And CEO confidence still has everybody talking. That release this week showed a major drop in the first quarter. It plunged to a level of 42 from 57. And to that point, Best Buy this morning warned that macro conditions have worsened since their March guidance. Joining me now is Frances Donald. She's been warning that the Fed is being too hawkish. She's the chief global economist and strategist at Manulife. Francis, it's great to have you back. Are markets correct now to price out the odds of a half-point rate hike in September? Well, yes, and this is the point of the pause that I think is most important. In my forecast, I still have two more big rate hikes from this Fed, but three to six months from now, they are going to have plenty of data across a range of indicators, from inflation expectations to actual inflation to a breadth of global and domestic data that will give them cover for a pivot. Does that mean they're done in this cycle? Well, it depends a little bit on how some of this inflation data goes. But I would be pointing out that September right now, to me, is looking like a pause. So we have Treasury yields falling. We have the market marking down what it thinks the Fed will actually be able to do here. And at the same time, Francis, inflation expectations are not slipping that much today. We're off the highs, you know, on the five or 10 year basis, but they're still at elevated levels. And I'm surprised that we're not seeing those drop more if we are ex expecting some kind of macro slowdown. Well, we were watching those five-year, 10-year break-evens this morning, and those have slipped fairly considerably. This is the beginning of that trend, but once again, it puts this Fed in a very difficult situation. And that's why I'm trying to really move the focus away from the Fed to what is growth doing? Because when you look at market action, to me, it's responding a lot more to this material growth slowdown that's likely to persist. That 10-year yield is going to move on growth and inflation expectations. And typically, when the Fed hikes into weakness, we actually see 10-year yields decline, not rise. That's what happens when you hike into declining PMIs. So yes, we need to know what the Fed is doing, but getting a sense of what growth will do next in Europe, in Asia, in the United States is probably your best leading market indicator, as opposed to just thinking, you know, so-and-so from the Fed said this, and therefore we need to move the pricing around on this particular date. I just wonder if we should be so quick to mark down inflation expectations here when the oil price is still pretty much at highs, commodity prices haven't slipped too much. And back during the 70s, we had two, and especially the mid-70s, a pretty deep recession that didn't stop inflation. You know, it kept accelerating throughout the decade. So are we so sure that we're going to be back to the pre-pandemic trend here so quickly? It's such a good point. And I'm asked all the time, what's your year-end forecast for headline CPI? And I have to admit, economists don't have good forward-looking models for oil. 
But what we do know is that inflation expectations are highly correlated with energy prices. This is one area where the Fed cannot control. We know the Fed has a lot of impact on demand, which, yes, is impacting some areas of inflation. But what's going to impact inflation expectations is something that's less out of their control. It puts them in a stagflationary bind that's very difficult. Now, up until now, they've had a lot of cover. Inflation itself has been high, a lot of political pressure on this. But with jobless claims starting to move up and small business surveys and now the CEO confidence telling us that employment is going to start to get a hit, they may feel pressure coming from the second side of their mandate. And I think that's really what's going to give them the cover and the motivation to say, you know what, we can slow down a little bit some of this hiking cycle. But if they do that, let me read these tweets from Bill Ackman from just about an hour ago. He said, Markets are imploding because investors are not confident that the Fed will stop inflation. If the Fed doesn't do its job, the market will do the Fed's job. And he says that's what we're witnessing right now. He also said, how does this downward market spiral end? It ends when the Fed puts a line in the sand on inflation and says it will do whatever it takes and then demonstrates it's serious. What would your response be to that? Well, far be it for me to take the other side of a successful investor like Bill Ackman. But to me, when I look at this market, what it's highlighting to me is that it understands a material growth slowdown and recession odds climbing. That is the key story underlying this story here. Now, inflation, I still believe, will fundamentally begin to decline into year end. What matters is that energy price. And so we continue to ask the Fed to use tools to solve a problem it cannot solve. And I think we have really circular logic around what the Fed should be doing when, in fact, the Fed needs to be responding to both sides of their mandate. And right now, absolutely no question, it has to focus on inflation. But three months from now, it's going to get very nervous about that employment side, and you're going to have a very different conversation around central banks. All right, Francis, the perfect person to have on today uh, to make this case. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. Francis Donald. Coming up, Snap shares are down nearly 40% on pace for their worst day ever. The CEO warning of a sharp decline in ad revenue ahead. We look at why the other digital ad players are all sharply lower right now. Plus, new home sales are falling well below expectations. The home builders are selling off as a result, and toll does report after the bell. The stock is down 5% today. We'll look at what Wall Street's expecting coming up. As we head to break, a quick check on markets. Dow's down about 1%, not terrible, about 326 points. It's a 2% drop for the S&P 500, though, and more than a 3% decline for the NASDAQ, 11,157. We're back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to The Exchange. It's a bad day to be in the online business world after Snap issued a profit warning saying the macro environment has deteriorated further and faster than they expected. The stock is tanking and on pace for its biggest drop ever. It's down about 40 percent to its lowest level since April of 2020. Now look at these declines. The comments are also taking down shares of Meta by almost 10 percent, Alphabet by more than 6 percent, and even Twitter, which supposedly is getting bought at 54.20 a share. Analysts seem to agree with these reactions. Jeffrey's saying today it's highly unlikely that the weakness is isolated to snap as we expect macro conditions to impact all digital ad names. Morgan Stanley noting we expect all online ad platforms to feel some impact of a significant consumer pullback. Joining me now with more Mountain CEO Mark Douglas and our very own Julia Borston. Welcome to you both. Mark, stand up for your industry here. What is going on? Well, I think you have to remember in what's happening is that there's actually two forms of advertising. There's brand advertising and there's performance advertising. And so Snap, literally their business is almost 50-50. And I think if you dissected the numbers where they're probably seeing all the weaknesses, brand advertising, that's the first thing that any CFO is going to cut when they want to cut expenses. So I think it's a, it's definitely near-term problem for Snap. But I think if you look at Google, it's exactly the opposite. The vast majority of businesses' performance, I think Google's going to do just fine and Facebook is somewhere in the middle. Can we talk, Mark, about who these companies are? You know, and I, I almost feel bad that this is Snap's problem when it's the clients who are cutting spending. Who are all these clients? What kinds of businesses? Are they doing it because they have no more money or are they doing it because they think the consumer's eyeballs are no longer on that platform? Yeah, I mean, that reinforce that kind of adds to what I just said. If you look at Google and Facebook, they have just millions of advertisers, and those companies are not just going to pack up shop. As a matter of fact, the times are tough. You saw during the pandemic, they actually spent more, and Snap benefited from that at the time. But the biggest advertisers, when you're dependent on the biggest names, are just going to cut expenses, and, and Snap's vulnerable to that. And one thing to keep in mind also is you have TikTok out there taking who knows how much money out of this market. Market, right. And they're going to primarily compete with Instagram and compete with Snap. So, again, I'm not usually that bullish on Google, but I think Google is just a standout here. Nothing to worry about in the near term. And then for everyone else, it's it's going to be a little rough, especially if you're dependent on brand advertisers. Julie, I wish we could see, you know, some proxy for shares of TikTok today, because if they were up 20 percent, we could all feel a lot better about what Mark's describing. You know, Snap is trying to throw this all on the macro environment. But is it just an excuse? Well, look, I, Kelly just moments ago got some data from Sensor Tower that breaks down where Snap generates its ads. And it says that 13% of Snapchat's ads are media, about 11% is retail, 10% food and drink, 7.5% gaming, and another 7.5% consumer goods. So Mark is totally right that this is a company that is split between direct response um, or, or that, that advertising that can be more easily measured and is more likely to be resilient and brand advertising. But if you look at the types of advertisers they have, they are fairly well distributed. And I think that is one of the reasons why we're seeing such concern about the other different platforms as well. I love the granularity. Maybe you, you could repeat some of those industries, Julia, because again, I'm trying to figure out if these companies are under pressure and they're starting to trim their advertising spend, are they trimming it a little bit from everywhere, including in the real world? Or are they saying, hey, this is just a poor performing part of where our marketing budget is going? 
Well, my theory here, and this I, I think ties into what Mark just said, is that advertisers want to make sure that where they're spending their money is having a massive effect. They want to be able to tie their investment in advertising to consumers making a purchase, going out and watching a movie, subscribing to a streaming service. And Snap had talked in its most recent earnings call about the fact that they'd seen streaming services and also financial services make gains on their platform. And Snap had also talked about the fact that it had made progress in navigating around some of those limitations in terms of ad targeting because of Apple's operating system change. So I think one question we're going to be asking as we hear from some other companies is, is Snap suffering right now because simply because of the macro environment, or are they still suffering because of those Apple operating system changes True. and the challenges of targeting consumers in this environment? And Mark, that's why I appreciate you know you saying, look, maybe Alphabet is wrongly being sold off here. What else can you tell us as somebody who kind of places you know advertising in front of people who are watching TV and, and that sort of thing? I mean. Do your clients still feel like they're getting a high ROI or do they feel like no one's watching TV anymore and they're all back to work? Well, I think um, building on what Julia just said is the how you can measure this is really important. So I think one thing that's misunderstood about the change Apple made, it doesn't really affect your ability to get in front of the right consumer. It really harms your ability to measure whether they responded. Mm -hmm. And so the more dependent on mobile you are, the bigger the impact. And so Snap is 100% dependent on mobile. So they have, they're getting this effect from brand advertisers, you know, taking spend out. They're getting this effect from an inability to measure as effectively and so and and so that's really both of those things are really harming them I think what this is going to do for their business during the pandemic the um, snap started a pandemic almost entirely a brand advertising platform and they doubled down on performance and did really well I think you're going to see them do the same thing now so you know this could actually be a buying opportunity that just forces the management team to invest more on digital measurement to get around those Apple changes and and essentially show their customers the data on how effective they are. Very interesting. We'll leave it there. Thank you both very much for coming on to sort all this out. Julia Borston and Mountains Mark Douglas, we really appreciate it. Still ahead, stocks are selling off this afternoon with the NASDAQ the biggest decliner. One of my next guests says, don't assume we're at the bottom yet. He's staying focused on the U.S., though, and on four sectors in particular. Tech is one of them, and this is one of the stocks he likes, down 28% in a month. We have the name ahead. Plus, financials mostly lower today, but J.P. Morgan trying to hang on after yesterday's big gains. The of A says J.P. Morgan has a huge advantage over its competitors. The analyst behind that statement joins us to make his case. And as we head to break, here's a look at the Dow heat map. About 10 advancers there, but Disney, Boeing, and Amex are your biggest decliners today. We're back after this. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, 
which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back, everybody. Just want to point out we are well off session lows right now. When the Dow was down 515, we're currently down 316. So not great, but not as bad as it has been, at least as of about 1.30 p.m. Eastern. S&P is down almost 2%, though, and the Nasdaq is down more than 3%. So uh, that's taking the brunt of the selling pressure. And here are some of the individual movers we're watching this hour. Travel stocks are selling off deeply with Royal Caribbean down almost 10%. Norwegian Carnival, similar story. Uh, big double-digit declines there. Fintech also falling. Affirm is down more than 12%. Block about 8%. Uh, PayPal up there down by about 3.5%. Again, about a 15% drop for Affirm today. A lot of different reasons why the NASDAQ in particular is under pressure. The Chinese internet stocks are also selling off. The KWeb internet ETF down more than 5%, more than 6% now. Tencent, Alibaba, Baidu all down between 5 and almost 10%. Zoom is a bright spot, though, extending yesterday's gains on an earnings beat and strong guidance. The shares are up four and a half percent, an extremely impressive performance. Granted, prior to yesterday's report, Zoom had lost more than 80 percent of its value since peaking back in October of 2020. And there you have at least some green today. Let's get over to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update. Tyler. All right, Kelly, thank you very much. An Iraqi man now in U.S. custody wanted to kill former President George W. Bush, according to a search warrant obtained by NBC News. In that warrant, the FBI says that after entering the country in late 2020, he told a confidential source he planned to smuggle people, including some militants associated with ISIS, into the U.S. to murder the former president. Government forecasters say they expect a seventh straight above-normal Atlantic hurricane season this year. They predict there will be 14 to 21 named storms of those 6 to 10 expected to be hurricanes. And severe weather continues to cause damage in the South and Midwest. This video shows the aftermath of what might have been a tornado in South Carolina. Not sure yet where the service looking into uh, that damage to make an official determination. Tonight on the news with Shep Smith, the aftermath of a cryptocurrency backed by an optimistic mayor, the Miami coin. Kelly, back to you. All right, Tyler, thank you very much. Still ahead, new home sales plunging to their lowest rate since the pandemic began. What does it mean for Toll Brothers? Stocks down 5% today. Earnings are on tap. And while inflation takes a big bite out of the retailers, can Nordstrom and Dick's buck the trend? We've got the action, the story, and the trade for each of these names in earnings exchange. And before we go to break, during May, we're celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage and featuring some of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here's former Obama White House policy director, Kavitha Patel. Growing up, I had always tried to fit in, and that meant oftentimes not acknowledging my own brown skin. And so raising my five-year-old daughter, it was incredible when one day she brought home a self-portrait that she had to do in class, and she filled in all the skin with a dark brown color. I always just grew children, even my own portraits, as having lighter skin or yellow hair, trying to fit in with all the children around me. And she was incredibly proud of what made her different. And she celebrates that, and all her drawings now include little brown girls.
Welcome back. If Snap has reminded us of anything, it's that corporate outlooks can take down entire industries right now. So on that note, let's get to today's earnings exchange where we preview three more names whose corporate outlooks can have a wide-ranging impact. So we'll get the action, the story, and the trade on Toll Brothers, Nordstrom, and Dick's Sporting Goods today. And we'll kick it off with Toll. The shares are down about 5% today and nearly 40% this year as rising rates have cooled down the housing market. Those April new home sales down more than 16% month-on-month thanks to record low inventory and high prices. Diana Olick is here with the story and with our trades today. Chris Grisanti is chief equity strategist at MAI Capital Management. Welcome to you both. Diana, what are you watching for? Well, obviously, Kelly, after that really horrendous new home sales number, Toll Brothers is now the focus for the housing market and its earnings. Of course, it is the luxury home builder. So the average price anywhere from $875,000 to $895,000. So the question will then be with rising mortgage rates, which we've seen up to an over 200 basis points since the start of this year. How will that affect that high-end buyer? How will uncertainty in the economy, the stock market, et cetera, hurt that high-end buyer? We're going to be looking, of course, at cancellation rates. We haven't seen that yet, really, with the builders, but building analysts have started to note that they are seeing a tick up in the cancellation rates. So we'll see if Toll <clears throat> is reporting that. We're hearing it anecdotally, again, from agents and other builders. We're also looking for a potential change in guidance. They're looking for revenue up 20% for uh, the next quarter. But given this pullback, again, wow. that we saw are they going to be able to get that? Are they going to change that guidance going forward? And again, we want to talk about inflation and supply chain. Toll talked about it in their last quarterly earnings, saying that it was not really easing up that much at all. And especially on the high end, when you think of all those high end finishings and some of those extras that you see on an eight or $900,000 home, those may be taking even longer and especially being hit harder by inflation. Kelly. And maybe we can show tolls forward PE right now. A lot of the home builders are trading at just five or six times. These are, you know, 2006 housing crash kinds of levels. Chris, this is the only stock of the three we're going to talk about today. You say you'd even think about buying. That, that's right, Kelly. Nice to be with you again. We actually like the home builders for, for two reasons. One, the supply demand dynamics are still quite good in home building. Household formation is up at the same time while housing supply is pretty limited. But the second bigger reason is just what you're pointing out. Toll Brothers is down 40% from its highs of about six months ago, even as demand has remained strong. Now, we're not foolish. We know mortgage rates have almost doubled and demand will come down a little. But we think there's a lot of room for error at, you know, six times earnings. The strategy on the trade, though, would be to wait and see the number. I wouldn't jump in front of any trade these days. But look at the demands. And, and exactly right. Look at demands and cancellations. If demand remains pretty robust, and we think it will, even if the shares were up on that news, I'd still buy it. There's a lot of upside here once the economy starts turning around. It's actually, now that we look, Diana, sort of catch up with this week, it's trading at four times forward earnings. So... Again, maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe the street is right to think that those earnings are going to drop precipitously and the multiple shakes out that way. But I mean, these are, you know, it's a good thing it can't go negative. It's just like it's going to be close. Yeah, it was interesting. It was a week or two ago we saw that we got some really bad numbers on mortgage rates and on mortgage applications. And we saw the builders go up. And I asked a couple of analysts, why are we seeing a buy into the builders? And he said, because they're just so beaten up. They're so cheap right now that investors are saying, look, 
maybe they have nowhere to go but up. But at this point, when we, again, see these sales numbers pulling back, I know there's demand out there, but I got to argue, if you want it but you can't afford it, then you're not going to buy it. Right. So, again, with this higher-end home, you can have all the demand you want, but with prices like this and the affordability, it's getting harder. Now, remarkable, remarkable times. Diana, thank you very much. Let's turn, speaking of remarkable, to retail, where Nordstrom is set to report after the bell. It's been caught up in the recent carnage in the sector, but it's held up okay this year. It's only down 10%. City was saying earlier this week they don't see the company being able to achieve their full year guidance. Let's bring in Courtney Reagan for more. Court, I, I, okay, I understand Walmart, Target, Amazon, too much ordering, pandemic, reset, you know, consumer goods. But what did Abercrombie tell us today might be going on at the mall and would it extend to Nordstrom? So actually, Abercrombie sales were really good. Abercrombie had the best first quarter sales since 2014, and they sold a lot of denim and dresses. And you know what? Nordstrom actually plays pretty well in those spaces. So I'm going to be really interested to hear what the trends looked like. We know, of course, department stores have come under pressure just as a general format over the last several years. But we also know that coming out of the pandemic, there was a bit of a resurgence and a pickup in sales. That's what those MasterCard monthly reports have been telling us for department stores specifically. Now, there has been some concern in recent quarters about Nordstrom's management ability to sort of manage through these difficult macroeconomic pressures. And that was before before we heard all of this commentary from those big players like Target and Walmart. So I think analysts are a little hesitant. Kelly, there weren't even a lot of preview notes for this quarter because I'm not sure analysts really know what to say um, before <laughs> it comes out. So I think uh, we, we have a lot of curiosities there, though UBS did monitor some web analysis and said they saw improvement in traffic, in total views, and visitor growth, and searches for both Nordstrom's brands, the regular stores in the rack. So We'll see. So with Abercrombie Court, like you said, the revenue was actually good. They had strong sales in certain categories, especially. Is it fair then to say that the reason why those shares are getting crushed today is because of profit margins? Again, maybe in this case, freight in particular. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That and inventory was up 45%, right? And I think that that makes, in general, it makes investors nervous, even if a lot of these companies are saying, look, it's okay. We have to get back to our normal levels of inventory because we were really light last year. So I think there's just a lot of uncertainty, especially if you're an apparel based mall player. Even though Abercrombie had some pretty good sales, they had the highest average unit retail that I think they've seen ever, which means they're able to pass on at least some of those costs in the form of pricing, but again, some work to do on the back-end operational side of a number of these retailers, Abercrombie included, to work through these sort of unprecedented pressures. And Chris, where does that leave you on shares of Nordstrom? Boy, boy, this is a tough one, Kelly, because unlike the housing where you have some dynamic and, and positive supply and demand issues, here you kind of have negative supply and demand issues. Uh, these guys, uh, just like Dick's that we'll talk about in a minute, th their margins were at records during COVID in 20 and 21 because costs were low and consumer spending was really through the roof. Now that's flipped on its head. And what we found with these different companies reporting is that things are even worse than we were anticipating, even 
even though we know they're going to get bad, they, they end up worse. So now Nordstrom, as Courtney pointed out, is uh, a much higher end retailer, of course, than Target and, and Walmart. So that may insulate them a little, but we're afraid not too much. What I would use the call for, the earnings call, is for intelligence on in inventories, promotions, store traffic, and really general macro trends and kind of squirrel that away to use for another day. All right. 6.6 times forward earnings is what Nordstrom is now trading at. Really remarkable. I'm just going to keep using the R word. Remarkable in this case because either uh, earnings are coming down sharply or at some point those multiples have to respond. All right. Let's stick with retail. Dick's Sporting Goods also having a rough day in a rough year. It's down about 38 percent. Telsey Group lowered its price target yesterday, saying they face a challenging first quarter as consumers uh, shift spending. But, Courtney, we had a Vista Outdoors on yesterday. Again, the stock's down year to date, but I think only 17%. Yeah, Kelly, and of course, Dick's Sporting Goods actually has done pretty well here uh, post-pandemic. We know that people want to be active in terms of lifestyle. We know team sports are returning. So there has been a lot to like from a fundamental standpoint. But yes, the stock has been under pressure. You point out Telsey Advisory Group's note. So analysts anticipate for Dick's Sporting Goods in the first quarter that the quarter will be tough, challenging. But then you've got Sam Poser at Williams who says, Actually, they're exceptionally well positioned, he said, to meet or exceed their full year guidance because he thinks all aspects of the business have improved from consumer engagement to sort of the rebasing of the revenue. Posner says, look, look at what's happening here at Dick's Sporting Goods when you compare to pre-pandemic. Overall, their new revenue base is up 40 percent, 30 percent higher in stores, 80 percent higher online. So he's very positive about Dick's, at least in the longer term. But I don't think that they are obviously immune to any of these other macroeconomic pressures that all the retailers have been facing. So again, it comes down to the management teams. How well were they able to anticipate and manage those costs going in in order to run the business, even if sales were good? But remember, very last, very strong last first quarter. And so lapping that's going to be tough. I think we're going to see a pretty negative comp sales growth here. And a lofty 13 times uh, multiple. Chris, what would you do? Again, just to quote the Vista Outdoor CEO yesterday, he said, not only are they not seeing a deterioration in their inventory situation, they expect that they could continue to benefit, uh, even see a tailwind if consumers trade down, if their spending comes under more pressure. Well, you know, that that's that's kind of an exceptional comment, Kelly. And, and what I would say is to say that they're exceptionally well positioned within the industry is like saying they have the best stateroom on the Titanic. I mean, things are really going to get ugly simply because they're a victim of their own success. Boy, business was so great during the COVID years. And now it's just going to get flipped aside. It's also going to be much worse than we expect. And it's going to last a couple of quarters. That's what that's what our research is showing. So again, I would use this as intelligence. I would certainly not step in front of the number. And Dix is a good company. I like the company. It's just that it's in a terrible neighborhood right now. All right. We will leave it there for now. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, for your trade, say Chris Crisanti. Courtney, thank you as well. It's going to be another busy afternoon. Coming up, the NASDAQ taking another hit today, down almost 4% at the lows. Does this represent a buying opportunity? The mega cap names one strategist says investors may want to consider our next. Welcome back. The Nasdaq, the underperformer again today, falling another 4% at the lows. Let's get to Christina Partsinevelis, who's got the biggest movers for us. Christina? Thank you, Kelly. So slowing consumer demand, loosening labor market backdrops, snap warnings, weak new home sales, tighter financial conditions. Take your pick. But it's testing investors' resolve that begs the question, is it all priced into these stock prices? 
Companies right now, though, um, one particular focus, companies with a heavy reliance on advertising are getting slammed after Snap's weaker revenue warning. Trade Desk is the biggest lagger on the Nasdaq composite right now, down over 18%. Pomatic and Digital Turbine also following suit. You can see that whole uh, slew of red across the screen. And then semiconductor firms like Marvell, Micron, NVIDIA, AMD, Qualcomm, all lower. NVIDIA earnings, though, I'd like to point out, are out tomorrow. And then Marvell out on Thursday. By the way, an ETF that tracks the semis is on pace for its longest monthly losing streak since 2011 and is already 28% off its year to date and 30% off its high. Much like technology in general, though, so you have persistent worries about inflation and rising rates, and that's hitting Chinese tech firms with COVID lockdowns adding further pressure. The South China Morning Post reporting a wave of job cuts hitting social media giant Tencent and Alibaba. Baba, you could see trading over 4%, JD.com uh, and Pinduoduo, some of the biggest drags on the NASDAQ retail se- uh, sector right now. And you could see Pinduoduo almost 8% lower. All right, Christina, thank you. My next guest says there are opportunities in tech right now, even though we may not be at a bottom. Well, who knows? Joining me now is Michael Yoshikami. He is founder and CEO of Destination Wealth Management. Welcome back, Michael. What are the picks to you that just jump out as really good opportunities here? Well, I, I think just viewers should just ask themselves, um, are they still going to be ordering Amazon packages, even though Amazon uh, announced cautious earnings? Are they still going to be ordering um, Amazon packages in a year, in two years, in three years? I think the answer is yes. I mean, a lot of people that come on um, on air talk about what it's going to look like for the next quarter, the next two quarters. I, I just, I, I don't think that really matters when you really look at the long-term thesis. Look at a company like Costco that I think is in the right space uh, that sells things that people want, people need, and sells them at a lower price, which tends to be positive for a recession. Um, and look where the stock's trading down. Look at Apple. Um, I will bet you, I'm not, I shouldn't bet you, say bet you, but I would imagine that Warren Buffett's adding to his position here, despite the fact that it's one of the largest, it's the largest position at Berkshire Hathaway. So I think you've got to look past the next two quarters. I know that's what the headlines are screaming about, but if you look long term, um, I think these are names that are, that are going to have some um, opportunity for the right, uh, in the right uh, investment portfolio. And every investor, I might add, needs to be careful, make sure it's the right investment strategy. So there's not a specific recommendation to the exact viewer listening. But these are stocks to look at, I think are interesting. You mentioned three of the names, Costco, Amazon, Apple. What about Johnson & Johnson? Why does that one jump out to you? Well, Johnson & Johnson is part of what I call the hero industry now. Johnson & Johnson is supplying things like vaccines. Um, You know, hopefully they're going to be able to provide baby formula under the Defense Act. So I think that um, uh, pharmaceuticals with its with their high dividend rates, as well as providing uh, vaccine and healthcare services uh, to the world, I just think is going to be a major, major player down the road. Particularly, I might add, as we continue to age from a de- demographic basis, all of us are getting older. Uh, not you, Kelly, Never. but all of us are getting older. And as we get older, we're going to need more and more health care. And I think Johnson & Johnson is well positioned to do that. A final comment, because you do often have a global bent. We've talked a lot about China and other things. But you would recommend investors say, you know, I don't know if we want to use the term overweight or exclusive or, or you're not a big fan of emerging market stocks right now. You think the U.S. is a better opportunity? I, I think U.S. is better opportunity. I think it's more transparency. There's higher dividend rates. Um, and really, frankly, I think that 
the U.S. is really perceived by the world. And if you talk to people around the world, and I do, it's perceived as the safe haven for investors. It's a place where you have companies that you know are going to be around in the future, as opposed to some of the stuff that's happening, for example, with these Chinese stocks, where you never know what the government's going to do. Oh, absolutely. You've warned us about that a number of times. Michael, we will leave it there. Thank you for your ideas today. All right. Thanks, Cal. Michael Yoshikami with some opportunities. Still ahead, financials, the hardest hit S&P sector today. Financials, even though rates, well, because of rates, we should say. Anyway, uh, one bank is positioned to stand out from peers, according to a new analyst note. The name and why next. Welcome back to The Exchange. The financials are one of the worst performing sectors today after yesterday's strong performance. These names are at a 52-week low. At least they were on Friday. They're barely above those levels right now. J.P. Morgan, one of the only components in the green as its investor day or days continue. And according to my next guest, JPM is in a better position than peers, thanks to a few factors, including Jamie Dimon's leadership. Joining me now is Ibrahim Punawala. He's financials analyst at Bank of America. Aren't you supposed to say B of A is the best bank, Ibrahim? Well, Kelly, I'm not allowed to comment on that, but you can make your own choice. Yeah, <laughs> you say where I work speaks uh, louder than uh, than who I cover. No, in all seriousness, we heard this uh, yesterday as well from David Bonson. He said J.P. Morgan was the only financial name he'd own right now because he thought their franchise was so powerful in every aspect of the business that they have. What's your case for owning J.P. Morgan here? So that's right. I think what the Investor Day did was it was a reminder in terms of the scale that the J.P. Morgan franchise has. When you look at $4 trillion in assets, 66 million U.S. households, banking 90% plus of Fortune 500 companies, I think when you marry that scale uh, in terms of the clients and the innovation in terms of the investments that the franchise is undertaking, I think that makes J.P. Morgan from a medium to long term a very hard competitor to beat, and it makes the bank uh, extremely well positioned when you think about what's happening with the banking industry in terms of digital innovation and custom changing customer preferences. Yeah, I wonder about the, you know, what they said about tangible common equity yesterday as well. I mean, if they can hit, was it 17% that they said that uh, people seem to like? How significant is that achievement uh, to the stock? And how likely is it to happen based on recession and inflation concerns? So that's correct. I think if you take a step back, Kelly, if you go back to January when they first laid out their investment spend, the stock sold off. I think shareholders and investors were frustrated based on our conversations just around the fact that management probably didn't connect the dots enough in terms of how these investment spend would impact future growth and impact profitability. I think what management did yesterday was reassure shareholders that despite these investments, uh, they've not taken their eye off in terms of disciplined expense management and capital allocation. So when you think about the return on tangible equity, as you pointed out, they left the door open that they might hit that number of 17%, possibly in 2022, likely 23. I think that was better than what the street expected coming into yesterday. And again, I think the signaling value is important in terms of it shows that despite all these investments, be it the UK Digital Bank, things that they are doing with blockchain and and, and, and stable and, and uh, crypto, they are able to deliver best in class returns. So I think that was a positive. But the other part of your question, if we do hit a rough patch, and I think you heard Jamie Dimon talk about the economy strong today, 
but there are storm clouds on the horizon. So I think right. if we do, in fact, enter a recession over the next year or two, maybe that uh, return pro, uh, target um, push, gets pushed out a bit. What would, what would the simple explanation be? I mean, if you told most people, hey, the 10 year is going to double, what's going to happen to bank stocks? They would go, I don't care, but I want to buy them. And instead, the opposite has happened. JP Morgan's down 20% this year. The financial spider uh, ETF but down about 13%. Why? Yeah, I can't walk around the hallways here without someone stopping me and asking me that question. Yeah. So I, I think the, the, the very simple answer to that is, if you take a step back, I think the big picture view is the Fed needs to hike interest rates in order to bring down inflation. As a result of that, I think the takeaway is the Fed will do some real damage to the economy. You've been talking about that throughout your show. What we don't know today, when the Fed hikes 50 basis points in June, maybe another 50 basis points in July, where will the economy be in terms of the demand destruction that will, uh, that will inflict, and where will the job market be? So I think as a result, you've seen bank stocks trade poorly starting mid-February, when you had inflation expectations get worsen, the war in Ukraine that began, that also sort of, of impacted outlook for inflation, and then you had the China supply chain uh, disruptions in March and April due to the lockdown. So when you add all of this, you're and wait and watch. And what we've been telling clients is we're not going to get a good understanding of where the economy is until maybe we get to later in the fall, post-Labor Day, to assess whether, one, what's the damage that's been done to the economy, and second, whether we do get a soft landing and the worst of Fed tightening might be behind us this summer. Yeah, and again, not that the PE is the most important thing, but 11 times is still uh, what J.P. Morgan's currently trading at. Abraham, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Abraham Punawala with Bank of America. Let's get a quick check on markets, which are well off session lows right now. The Dow was down 515 points earlier on. We're down only 135 right now, or four-tenths of a percent. The S&P down 1.3 percent. The Nasdaq had been down about 4 percent, but we're 2.5 percent lower at the moment. Up next, according to a recent survey, consumers perceive this restaurant as having the least bang for your buck, and it's no favorite with investors either, falling 38 percent this year. I've got a few ideas for candidates here. We'll have the name and the companies that could provide a safe haven in a recession. That's next. Welcome back. Want to get one more thing on your radar before we go today. Everything from real estate to social media now seems to be at risk. But one area of discretionary spending that could hold up in a slowdown is food. Kate Rogers is here with a look at the potential safe havens in the restaurant space. Kate? Hey, Kelly. Well, inflation's hitting nearly every restaurant name we all know, but there's one silver lining, and that food is typically the last place that consumers will pull back during a recession because we all have to eat. Cowan recently released new research on this sector, polling 2,500 consumers on value perceptions. Wendy's, Taco Bell, McDonald's, and Panera were the highest scoring in terms of above-average value for the money at or near 50%. For low-income respondents, Wendy's, McDonald's, Domino's, Taco Bell, Panera, and Pizza Hut were all above or at 50% for above-average value perception. Cowan's overall top five on its new conviction list are Yum Brands, Darden, Sweetgreen, Chipotle, and McDonald's. But separate research show that one place where consumers may start to pull away from is delivery. Recent data from Black Box Intelligence for Q1 showed that guest sentiment in terms of value was negative for both full-service and limited-service brands when it came to off-premise dining. Now, the bad news is that sector-wise, nearly every name is in trouble, even brands that continue to tout their pricing power over 
Over the last six months, every restaurant name is in the red, and the biggest losers are Wingstop and Red Robin, both down around 60%. McDonald's and Bloomin' Brands, the parent of Outback Steakhouse, are two of the best performers holding up a bit better, but they're down around 5 and 10%. Kelly, back over to you. Not to call anyone out, Kate, but so who was the name that was perceived as having the worst uh, bang for your buck? I think overall it was Starbucks, and that was around 42%. So they were, you know, below 50% for above average value perception. They do tend to cater to a higher income demographic, and that's coffee, not so much food, even though food is, you know, increasingly important in terms of their ticket. Um, but cold beverages is their big platform, remember, so less food-oriented, but definitely still a part of the equation there. Yeah, I think even the people who love it would say it's not the best bang for their buck. <laughs> True. <laughs> Kate, thank you very much. Uh, Kate Rogers today reporting. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.